Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping, hoping that you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day, especially the joy you feel when you share God's love with others. As we do each week, I'd like to begin a program with a story based on faith and form with imagination, a way of somehow focusing on our program for this evening. Jesus came upon a man who was drawing in the soft sand and watched him for a while. The man slowly looked up and said, Ah, Master, do not think me foolish for what I do. Jesus shook his head and said, Why would I think that? I have many things to do, but I cannot help myself. There is so much beauty in this world. My wife said I am foolish and do not see reality. Maybe this is true, but I want to see only what is good and beautiful. And I want to capture it, not only in my mind, but also in my heart. Jesus looked down and said, But it will not last long. The man looked up once again at Jesus. You could see sadness in his face and said, But it will last in my mind, Master. Jesus smiled and said, Words are very much like that. They are passed from one person to another. I admired your drawing, but in time it will slowly erode away. Then Jesus looked down and began to draw beside the man's drawing. He drew a tree with its roots visible. The man said, Why did you draw roots? There is no beauty in them. Ah, Jesus said, Tell me. Tell me what? What beauty I see. The man asked, Yes. Jesus said, But without these roots, will the tree stand tall and strong? The man began to laugh and said, But you do not see the roots, Master. But you know they are there, Jesus replied. Of course, the man answered, But I do not understand your thinking. Jesus said, Life is like a tree. We do not see the Father. We only see what he has created, its beauty, what he has given to us. You, my friend, see beauty not only on the surface. You wish to capture it, but you do not think fully about it. 
The man listened as Jesus continued, and when he was finished, the man said to him, There is great wisdom in your words. Maybe I have been foolish. No, Jesus replied, you are not foolish. But you see only part of the love in what the Father has given to us. Some go through life and speak about and see only suffering and pain. Others go through life who only see beauty, who do not wish to understand another's pain or understanding or truth. But it is the wise man who sees both beauty and pain and who can understand the lessons that can be learned from them. To understand another's needs and to give comfort to them is a form of beauty. Then Jesus extended his hand to the man and asked, My, my friend, when you see a tree now, what will you think? The man was quiet for a long time and then responded, I will see strength. I will feel love. I will understand there are many mysteries in life that we do not see many gifts because we do not care to look deep within our heart and mind. Jesus Mountain said, You are a wise man. Go and teach others what you know, a story of faith and imagination. Our guest this evening writes in his latest book titled The World According to God. And he writes it in the second chapter. For most of us in our modern life, science is the primary and singular force source, excuse me, for factual truth. Science stresses methods and procedures designed to make sure how we think our world's work is how it does in fact work. This is why scientific studies are subjected to rigorous review, including replication, so we can all be sure that what we learn from science is certain and applied properly in keeping with the actual and factual scientific truth of things. Biology, chemistry, and physics all generate truths that guide and inform the many applied sciences, such as engineering and medicine. This is why a continual process of research and experimental and applied verification exists in both the pure and applied sciences. And all of this scientific technological process yields a vast and expanding body of truth about the physical world in which we live. But when it comes to philosophical, religious, and moral truths, claiming that beliefs in these areas are actually and factually true can seem more than a bit arrogant, naive, or ignorant. For the modern mind, such truth claims are matters of mere opinion or preference. Science gives us facts that we can know for certain and apply and verify practically. But philosophy, religion, and morality give us ideas, theories cast in the light of divine imperatives above analysis and question. These are matters of willful belief, not actual fact, matters that entail a blind leap of faith, not a rational and real response to reality. Or are they? Are they simply matters of subjective opinion that are believed to be factual by the adherence of any and every faith? Or are they provable and demonstrable matters of fact? Surprisingly and shockingly to our modern minds, religious, moral, and philosophical truths are indeed provable and demonstrable with both science and reason. And he writes in just a little bit later, Let the truth persuade you. Don't just believe. Be convinced. 
Be convinced by scientific facts and by rational proof. Be convinced by the harmonic certainty of science and reason. Be convinced and then believe. And when you do believe, open yourself to God. The author of these words and our guest this evening is uh, Dr. Francis F.X. Cannon, Cannon Cronin, I'll read this right, Cronin. Uh, he lived as an existential atheist, a deist, and an evangelical Protestant before returning to the Catholic Church in 2007. While his faith in Jesus Christ is 30 years old, his return to the Catholic Church completed his search for the God of the Scriptures and of history and gave him a new and vast treasury of knowledge and spirituality to explore and to share. As a Protestant, Cronin spoke locally and regionally on many topics, including apologetics, parenting, marriage, media, culture, and the educational imperatives for Christian children. He also conducted Bible studies, Sunday school classes, and lectures on philosophy and modern Christian apologists. Professionally, he has worked as an educational administrator, an educational consultant, a teacher, and a counselor for 35 years. He has taught at all levels, including a graduate adjunct professor at the University of Connecticut and at Aquinas College in Nashville, Tennessee. He also taught as an elementary school homeschooling father for two years. He is the proud husband of his wife, Annie, who is a speech pathologist, and the main reason he is a Christian today is also the proud father of three daughters and the grandfather of four granddaughters. FX Crin in I want to keep wanting to say, <clears throat> excuse me, I was reading something by the name of Cannon earlier today. It's Cronin. I apologize. Thank you for being with us this evening. Well, it's a pleasure, Father. It's uh, it's really nice to, to have a time to share the faith and discuss the depth and breadth of our our common faith. Oh, you did it so well uh, in your book. Uh, it was amazing to me. I said to you on the phone when I had talked to you a little yesterday, I guess it was, about how you lead uh, your the book from one chapter to the next and sometime within the very thought pattern you were establishing in our hearts and minds then. I could go on and on, and uh, by the end of the program, I know I won't be where I want to be, having covered more of the book than, <laughs> than I was able to. But tell us a little bit about your own spiritual journey. Well, I'm, I was raised a Catholic in the most nominal fashion, although I attended Catholic schools from uh, first grade till uh, one year in college. Uh, my parents were kind of like uh, six or eight times a year we would go to church to to mass and so on uh they weren't particularly bad people but the faith just wasn't a big part of their life I, perhaps maybe they thought it was being covered by the schools which in some measure it was i guess um by the time i was 19 uh i had uh i made a new year's resolution to read a book a week uh that year and over the next 18 months i read about 158 books oh my. Uh, but they were <laughs> they were mostly uh existential fiction and uh, some non-fiction uh in the 1800s to the early like 1950s 1960s so uh at that point i i became 
pretty much a, a solid existentialist and, and by virtue of that, uh, uh, less deliberate but still very conscious atheist. Um, and I stayed there uh, from the time I was 19 till I was about 35. Uh, and 10 days before I was about to marry my lovely wife, Annie, uh, she announced that she was now a born-again Christian. And that really didn't sit well with me because, um, you know, we have a different worldview. If, if yes. she believed that Jesus was the Son of God and walked the planet, and I'm an, I'm an existential atheist, that's going to cause problems in our marriage. And I even said that to her over our honeymoon. And so, like, if this becomes a big issue between us, I'm out of here in six months. And I was very serious about that, like... Um, so, um, anyhow, because she's such a wonderful human being and that's why I was marrying her, I felt like, okay, uh, just in fairness, I, I should reinvestigate the whole idea of a, of a transcendent, all-powerful God. And, uh, so I did. And probably within about three years, I became kind of a monotheist, uh, with a, passages through deism and so on. And, Okay, so I think there's a God, and then uh, I spent the next two and a half years. I mean, I was working, we're having kids, you know, during that whole period. And, uh, you know, I figured out, okay, Jesus was God incarnate, and he walked the planet. And uh, then I had the born-again experience myself. And uh, actually, that just seemed to be happening every six to eight weeks. I felt like I was being born again and again and again. Uh, And then uh, we got really curious, both of us without really talking to each other directly until we were, you know, kind of in the mode, I, we, I was looking at two questions, the, who this Holy Spirit was. I mean, what what's that all about? You know, we were Trinitarian evangelicals, but there wasn't a lot of talk and in, in teaching on the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And then we were also curious about uh, you know, if God could really direct your life, what would that look like? And that that was one of those things that you don't read a book about. That's uh, a kind of more of the uh, cauldron or the crucible experience that you work that out. And uh, so those two things, uh, we worked on those. And 10 months later, I was in a divinity school at Regent University in Virginia Beach. And uh, I had already been to graduate school. So uh, graduate school wasn't a good fit for me. It was a lot of work and writing papers, and I didn't really want to do that. But uh, this is one of those things where God changes your mind because he gives you something to do. Um, so he changed my mind about that, and since that time I've picked up four graduate or five graduate degrees uh, in addition to the one I had already. Um, my wife is also one of those ladies who doesn't like to move the furniture, let alone move to Virginia Beach. <laughs> yes. uh, she also is uh, more dollar conscious than I am. I'm pretty loose and fluid with money. And yet she was the one, you know, before we went off to uh, divinity school, came home and said, I think we need to start tithing on our gross. And I was like, okay. But he moved her on those kind of things. So once we kind of made a way for him to, guide and direct us uh we we were in definitely in the flow and and doing some out-of-the-box things that we hadn't anticipated including as you mentioned in the intro uh while i was a divinity student in a field i've never studied at all 
Uh, I was also a homeschooling father full-time with my daughters because I didn't want them to go to public school because I was a Christian now, and being a public school teacher, I know how the the deck is kind of stacked against Christianity in a lot of ways in its day-to-day life and in its curriculum. So anyhow, so uh, from there, he got opened the door, and uh, I ended up studying for a year at Harvard uh, and then Columbia University. So uh, God made it a way, made a way for me to go to two of the eight Ivy League schools, and at Columbia it was a doctoral program in organization and leadership. And, uh, you know, I became a school administrator, and in 07, my secretary, who we had shared our faith, and she kept telling me, Frank, you're more Catholic than the Catholics. And uh, I didn't really know what that meant in any great measure, but she sent me, uh, she's off in the summer, and she sent me home and asked me to read a a book over the summer called Broom Sweet Home by Scott Hahn, and I got about halfway through the book, and in four sentences, Scott Hahn basically decimated the Protestant uh, theory of knowing, the, the Protestant epistemology of sola scriptura. For one, scripture never says sola anywhere in it. It talks about all scripture. Uh, and then uh, which scriptures are we talking about, the shorter Protestant Bible or the, the complete Catholic Bible? So for me, you know, within a, probably about a four- to six-week period, I was ready to take, become a Catholic and get into an RCIA program. And uh, my family wasn't. They were kind of lagging behind on this. So what we decided to do was we would continue going to our Protestant uh, our Protestant church, and we would come home and have Sunday dinner like we always did. And then after dinner, we read Rome Sweet Home out loud, word by word, page, page by page, discussing it, you know, talking yes. about what it meant. And then after that, we read the Lamb's Supper as well. And by the, by the following uh, October, we were ready, and we happened to find a, a great Catholic priest who— uh, Father Tito in Baltic, Connecticut, who was uh, willing to do an RCIA just for our family because all five of us were off on Sunday. That that was something we always did. So uh, after Sunday Mass, or after he got done with his two Sunday Masses, he spent an hour, hour and a half with us doing RCIA. And by, yes. uh, I think, Christmas, everyone was now a Catholic. Wow. Um, you... The, my opening remarks are from your book, of course, and uh, there are 22 mm-hmm. chapters, and I honestly believe that uh, uh, I could spend the, the whole time we're going to be together this evening on those on those, and on any one chapter, really. There's so much you raise. Um, um, you talk about the fact that you believe the truth is a provocative topic in the modern world at at this time, Absolutely. and science is not the only way to know act- actual and factual truth. That most moderns believe science is the only way to know anything. Uh, that to most moderns, reason and logic are really just manipulative means of persuasion and not proof. And you write that uh, the purpose uh, of your book uh, is not to persuade uh, readers but to look deeply at the reality at reality and see clearly the truth that is right in front of you and that's mm-hmm. that's often so difficult and um it's we find out that it it can be 
uh, very difficult uh, to gain knowledge living in an age of uh, relativism. So we're going to take this break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with F.X. Cronin about the world according to God. Welcome back to Amplify, where our guest is Dr. F.X. Cronin. Latest book is The World According to God. He raises three questions whose answers have profound effects on our daily lives and life's ultimate nature and purpose. Death or eternal life, our basic nature as human beings, and the existence of God. And by the time you, uh, those questions will be answered by the time uh, you read this book. Um, he assures us that we can know truths beyond the core truths of science and its methods, uh, that by using our reason, we can evaluate whether truth is real and knowable. And he urges us just to keep thinking and reflecting. Don't just accept what our modern culture says about reality. But you, you believe that the biggest of all life's questions is the question of God's existence in nature. Tell us a little bit why. Well, I, I think the existence of God, I mean, if you're just looking at as a question, uh, permeates every level of human experience and of reality. The question of God comes up, and that has to do with how the world originated, the nature of its order, the place where it's going, what's its end game, what is, what's the purpose it's serving. Uh, I think in terms of human nature, it gets at, okay, uh, if there's a God, then there's some reality beyond just our biochemical physicality to who we are, because now we have an intangible God, and we, in some measure, have a mind. Our mind is more than just the neural firings in our head. It's somehow, even though there is that aspect of us, that's not all we are, that, that we're by nature both tangible and intangible, and that's both of these things are provable with deductive reasoning and just observing what's going on in the in the universe, the physical universe, and and working it out mentally with logic. Um, again, this is why the the scientific uh, dominance of everything and the loss of reason as a way of proving things uh, is a real affliction for modern man, and it leaves us. Uh, bereft of any moral underpinnings, any uh, sense of meaning and purpose. Everything is driven then by what individual people want to elect for a purpose, which, you know, in a temporal sense, that's fine. But there's also the ultimate sense. Where is all this going? We have all of this universe about us. Where did it come from? What? How did it get here? And, and where is it going? So I, I think those those are the kind of questions uh, that are most profound, and, and I, I don't think you could find a more profound question than is there or isn't there a God? I mean, most philosophers will tell you that 70% of philosophy is the question nice. of God. So uh, I think, you know, that's not an insight that I came up with. That's, that's kind of like a, a standard perception on philosophy. And um, you point out that without reason... We are left with irrational claims, uh, groundless mm -hmm. assumptions, blind beliefs, and the church recognizes the role of faith 
but never to the exclusion of reason where appropriate applied. And you write that there is no real conflict between reason and 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 faith, that our faith integrates all of our God-given means of knowing, and we are called to apply these gifts rigorously and re- relentlessly to their fullest. And so faith is not the only way to seek and find God, but it is an important method, isn't it? Well, I mean, belief does—I mean, it is a huge thing. But, you know, sometimes I mean, faith is a complicated word because it has a few different meanings. Uh, you know, there's there's belief, just raw belief, an exercise of our will, but there's also a belief or faith or trust or um, a, a certainty that comes from factual stuff as well. I mean, we, we, we have a certain faith in our fellow man. We have a faith in, I have faith in my wife. And a good part part of that comes with, from what I know she is and what I've watched her do, and, and therefore I, I'm certain that I can trust her about things. And I think the same thing applies here. And I think in the modern world, we've come to think in terms of belief rather than, and I'll make a distinction here that is at least my distinction, that, that belief is just a, a function of will. I'm going to believe this. And my idea of faith is an informed faith. It's never just a matter of belief. It's it's a comprehensive thing that reaches out to all of our many facets as we trust in God and come to know God and experience Him on a regular basis. Uh, you know, you can because reason is a way to know God and to know His creation and each other. Then that's an opportunity for. Uh, for kind of that relational or spiritual connection with God. I mean, reasoning isn't just X's and O's. Reason, when it's applied to these kind of subjects, are rich and deep spiritual experience, as well as a degree of certainty and provable fact. So, um, you know, sometimes we get caught up between love and truth as as if these were two different things, and they're really a different side of the same coin that that's the way it's intended mm-hmm. to know God in truth is also to experience him. So I could tell you some facts, for example, about my wife and you would know something about her, but you'd also, if you spent time with her, you would know her, know that and, and have that experience. And I think that's, that's a way of looking at truth and reason and, and the faith or the, the gift of faith is, is the harmony of all of those things, not the exclusion of some and, and the inclusion of others. Yeah, I shouldn't I shouldn't never make a judgment just on the little things you've said about your wife already, but I think I know a little bit about her from what, <laughs> what you said at the beginning and how she influenced you. But as a matter of fact, Jesus does, through his teaching, appeal to our reason, doesn't he? Absolutely. Yes, he does. He does continually. Otherwise, he wouldn't be talking. I mean, he, he teaches us. He's, he's trying to show us not only just what we should do, but a, a way of being and a way of thinking and a way of living and developing that ongoing relationship with God. I mean, God is forever across the scriptures telling us that, that he loves us and he, he wants to teach us and draw us into a love relationship with him. Well, you know, people that are in love spend time together. And, and, you know, sometimes you're just having those deep emotional moments, but other times you're, 
you're talking about things and and learning things about each other and so on. And I think when we learn things through reason, that's that's an experience that's just rife with spirituality as well because he gave us our mind. He ordered our minds. Reason is a part of his creation just as much as the physical world. And so when we do that, we're experiencing the mind of God and open to the heart of God as well. So. And that's why um, when we were talking about the question about God's existence a little bit ago, you believe that it's a grievous and fatal error to think God's existence depends only on belief or faith that God is or God is not. Right. I mean, I mean that's a, if you look at it in our world where we don't think there's a lot of truth out there, uh, you know, a lot of it's right before us. God is or God is not. Somebody gets to be right about that question. You know, what is the evidence and what are the facts and what is the reasons that would indicate there is a God or there isn't a God? And it's on some level, it's almost too simple and surprisingly so. For example, if we take the fact that God doesn't exist, so what do we have left then? We have matter, energy, time, and chance. That's all we have. Well, how do you explain reason if all there is is matter, energy, time, and chance? Reason is just a, a, a manifestation in our brains of neural firings and neural patterns of activity. That's mm-hmm. not reason. So if somebody else has neural firings that are different than yours, then they're just, there is no reason. It's just random. Well, how do you do science without reason? You can't do science without mm-hmm. reason. Science is a, is a, a reason model from its beginning to its conclusion. You cannot do science. Science isn't another way of knowing. It's a composite way of knowing that combines inductive reason, deductive reason, and physical observation. Um, so, you know, this, the science-reason dichotomy that people would like to hold to, okay, reason is philosophy, and that's all opinion, and science is all fact, and so on. That's just nonsense. You're not really understanding what reason is. And because God gives us this mind and has ordered our minds and teaches us how to think properly and well and deeply, you know, that's part of how we can know him, and that's part of how we can know and encounter one another. I mean, there's there's just so much truth in life to be had, and most people beyond the, the few basic scientific laws of bio, biology, chemistry, and physics uh, they would just dismiss that out of hand and just say everything else is philosophy. And that's just not true. And you can prove that. And um, what, you, what you've been saying is that science, reason, and faith really enlighten one another. And a problem yeah. for atheists is that reason, logic, and truth are not material facts, but immaterial concepts and proofs for existence of God depend on them. Uh, reason makes sense of things. Uh, you just said that science relies on reason, but it also re- you you write about how it also uh, relies on mathematics. Correct. Well, if you look at mathematics, mathematics is entirely deduction. I mean, it's it's reason from top to bottom, and it bears no. I mean, other than the numbers themselves, it really bears no relation to the physical reality of it is by and large a conceptual thing, a mental thing, uh, a logic thing. And we do that all of the time. We use mathematics 
to as a way of expressing our observations even on the physical world. So, you know, if you throw out mind and logic and so on and you're left with an atheistic universe of just matter and energy, uh, you have no way of explaining reason, for starters. You have no way of explaining science. You have no way of explaining mathematics because the only way any of that makes any sense is if there's a reality to mind that is both logical and capable of reasoning. Right. It's just, that's a fact. And without reason, we can't have science. And atheists fail, you right, to give reason its rightful place, power, and authority. And um, Mm -hmm. the cause-effect relationship leads to absolute truth, to undeniable truth, to objectively true truth. And uh, um, uh, you write about how a critical principle of reason and of science is the law of cause and effect. And you use the example of a building. Right. And, well, I mean, if we just happen to be driving along and all of a sudden there's a building, we know that that didn't just happen. Right? We can, we can see that. That's an effect that, that derived its, its being from prior causes. And the same thing applies with the universe. I mean, sooner or later, even if you buy the Big Bang, which, you know, I think most people would see that's a reasonable scientific truth, at least so far. Um, something had to cause whatever bang to bang. Not only did they have to cause it to bang, but they had to make the stuff that actually banged. You know, whatever that was, if it was life, it was life. But either way, you do not get something from nothing. That, everyone knows that. You know, you just, you can't have a universe to come from nothing. Something had to Mm -hmm. cause it. And if you know, nowadays, I guess uh, some secular scientists look around for because of the Big Bang and they're out there looking for what they kind of call the God particle. They don't mean a particle, but they're looking for the God thing. And when they find that, they'll be faced with the same dilemma. What made this? Because science is about looking at, at effects and then trying to figure out what the causes are or ways of taking that effect and making it cause something else. So, you know, that's just... That's just simple rationality uh, that is right there. And one of the, the fun parts sometimes is to talk, talking with atheists. I know, uh, I know a little bit about that. Uh, atheists are people who are even agnostic, but they're, they're grounded in science. In order to make a case for science, you have to use deductive reasoning. You have to build the case. You have to say, well, this is this, therefore this is this, and so on. And so... What they're doing there is they're not making their case for science with science. They're making their case for science with reason, with deductive reasoning. And and that's a contradiction that absolutely kills their argument before they even get it going. Because once they appeal to reason, that's something that doesn't exist in a, in a physical world. Hmm. So um, you write that... Um in the chapter on matters of origin, that uh, uh, the Bible, you, you point out that the Bible begins with the story of creation, and so uh, there is evidence of God's existence can be found in the in the physical cosmos, uh, that it had a beginning from something, someone, somewhere else. We, we believe it was someone. Scientists claim it was somewhere, and that something else, that someone else, must have the ability 
to create the explosive power of the Big Bang according to the law of cause and effect. And you conclude then that to claim there is an infinite chain of causes and effects is nonsense or a universe that regenerates itself. Right. I mean, if it's a multiverse thing, all they're doing is failing to explain the prior cause and attributing that to infinity. Well, you know, infinity is a concept, and but you can't just conclude infinity. You have to kind of try and track that. And, and by saying infinity, it's a way of playing defense and covering up a, a serious hole in your argument, your defense, your explanation of of the universe it just that's it's just that's an, that's just not scientific and as we discuss uh, this fascinating topic the world according to god is the title of your of your book um there's there still is a great deal of mystery in what we're discussing isn't there well i mean uh, yeah there is uh in in one sense because it's a very complex universe we but I guess I feel like um, the need for revelation becomes part of that. And so I think this is where God unveils his mysteries beyond what we can get on our own. I mean, in the study of philosophy and in in theology, they call what we've been doing so far is pretty much natural theology. We use the light of reason and and our sensory and uh, intellectual capacities to learn about God but he also reveals himself to us. And, and that's, that's a different kind of thing where he's actually spoken to people or used events or uh, as Christians and Catholics, we believe that God actually came and lived among us. And I guess when I, when I refer to mystery, uh, there just seems to be a kind of a movement of what might be greater evidence that there is life elsewhere uh, created by God and uh, that may have existed long before us. This has been going on for a long time, but there's just more and more information mm-hmm. seems to be coming forward. And that raises, in my mind, just a lot of questions, um, uh, explorations that there's there's even greater uh, wonder about God uh, in, in in thinking about, well, wherever these... These other beings exist. Uh, what's their relationship to Christ? I don't want to get into get into this. Just to ask the, the thing about mystery for me, that there are just so many things that uh, that are that are that science raises questions that to me become mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a platform for my faith in many ways. So uh, right. that's that's part of what I was talking about. That um, well, and, and some of those kind of things, like the Saint Father. Our, uh, science raises it, but because hard science would say those are that's kind of speculative, and mathematics would indicate, you know, when we look at the expanse of the cosmos, that the probability of us being the only ones here is pretty low. If you look at the both of those kind of perspectives on it, it it's still very grounded in reason. It's mysterious because we don't know it, but the fact that we could even ponder the possibility of it really gains a certain credence from mathematical probability that leads us to go, hey, you know, there might be something to this. Right. Let me just read us out to, uh, we just we have less than a minute to uh, 
our uh, okay. next break. You, you um, write in conclusion, be sure in this chapter, and you're, <laughs> the last chapters I, I grew to love right away, the last part of the chapter, be sure to seek to know God personally, not just conceptually, for God as a person invites you to reach out to him in a relational, personal manner. He sees us not simply as followers or believers, but as his sons and his daughters. He longs for us to know him. He longs for us to see the bounty and beautiful all around us in his creation. He longs for us to know the depth and the richness of his love for us. And he seeks a relationship with us in which we can fully know and experience his unfathomable love for us and in which we may come to love him evermore. <laughs> 